year is 2021. That is the year that... Wait, I was going to say that that was the year the Movie Overload podcast started, but that's not true. (laughs) Just the second year of the Movie Overload podcast's existence. Uh, It is the year that the hosts of that show watched the classic film that came out in a year I can't remember right now. Blade Runner. You know, we did start the podcast, I think. Oh, no, I thought we started the the... year that... Oh, we didn't... We started the year after when this movie takes place, didn't we? Um, yeah. Yes, that's true. It takes place in 2018? I I think it's 2019. 2019. It's like October 19th, 2019. Did did we just have a moment of 2020 erasure? Uh, I had one of those the other day. (laughs) (laughs) Where you try to remember things and you're like, yeah, last year, 2019. And it's like, oh, God. Um, It's very weird. Um, Um, Anyway, this is the Movie Overload podcast. It's a movie where we overwhelm you with movies. Overload you with movies. And we yeah, overload ourselves. Yeah, we haven't been doing a lot we of also, overloading. We also <laughs> overload ourselves with movies, and then we have to take a break for a little bit. Um, the upload schedule was down for a while, and then we posted a couple of Star Wars episodes that were recorded mm-hmm. before the break. However, they are sort of the start of the new thing. We're um, back here for we, season three. We are down one person, and I may return yeah. occasionally, but for now, she's, uh, she's not with us. Absent. Therefore, dead. She rest in peace. And if we mm-hmm. find out any of our friends have a mild interest, we will <laughs> yeah. force them into this until An they too find it mildly uncomfortable yeah. to do this every week. No, no. To to be fair, I'm I'm. It's too far gone for me. I'm I'm too scarred. I'm, oh. We're just we're sticking with a three person group. <laughs> we keep it unless we have guests. Right. We can have guests sometimes if it ever works <laughs> out that way. But yeah, like you said, they have to like have an interest and also be comfortable with being on the podcast yeah yeah it is a hard thing especially when like you know arguably we're not very good at it (laughs) arguably Uh, yeah you're right it'd be a very short argument (laughs) (laughs) it's okay um hopefully we just my hope is just that we finish in time um because In in that that break time i've um got a bit more information on my future plans and it's quite likely that by the time this podcast ends i will be in japan so either we bank them or did you get like confirmation on if that's happening for you or not or anything well no but i didn't i think like when thinking back to last time we recorded Mm -hmm. i didn't have the dates of when i would actually leave if i got in and i was assuming it would be later that's true okay so yeah i i don't get that that information back for a bit but got you but it seems a bit more likely than it did before yes. anyway very good so well okay so we're here to talk about that movie and we were going to talk about it a long time ago like two months ago or three <laughs> yeah most of us watched it back then except for me yeah you watched but it it's okay because we've all seen it a lot of times before so not it doesn't uh, really matter not the version i watched oh <gasps> Did you watch the oh, okay, theatrical yeah, yeah. cut? I watched the theatrical cut. And when we get to the end, and I'm supposed to give you a quote, you're going to be so glad that I did. It's going to be awesome. Okay. Um, well, now we're when I try and do a weird Harrison Ford impression, it's going to be great. That's going to be so good. Okay, anyway. I'm so well, excited for you to somehow back. have forgotten it in the time no, that we've... No, I'm pretty so, sure so I remember it. I have at least the words that I'm going to say in my brain, so okay, it's fine. Okay. Well, All right. okay. anyway, I that, we'll get to that topic. Should we introduce ourselves because it's yeah. been a while? Uh-huh. I guess I'm Hunter. I'm, I intro the podcast. Oh, the size. <laughs> I'm Aiden. I'm sitting quietly in the corner without a mic stand uh, because uh, I'm sorry. Our, our good friend brought all of them out to Seattle. Uh, I'm Broccoli. <gasps> I now am all the way out in the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. and so I'm a thousand miles away from my friends. And uh, yeah, and I brought two microphones with me. Uh, for no reason. Yeah. So just just to just to be a jerk, just to take them. That's a fun so. time. 
And the funny thing is, it's like it doesn't even matter because like I'm currently living in a dorm, so like it probably sounds like garbage anyway. Yeah. So like, what was okay? Yeah, you should have just why go through the the effort of bringing all the mic equipment and stuff. Uh, but yeah we're gonna talk about blade runner because you know we're still in the 80s 1982 Mm -hmm. uh directed by ridley scott starring harrison ford and um and not heard about that all the rest rutger hauer Hauer. so i i believe rachel has a very interesting androgynous name but i do not remember what her uh, name is i'm also oh, forgetting the actor's name is. uh thanks you, you look it up did before we actually get into the meat of blade runner itself i'm curious if we have thoughts about ridley scott because uh as a director still working uh mm-hmm. Notably releasing two films in consecutive months this year because of COVID delays. Um, Insane, man. And also, like, when I was growing up, one of the quintessential filmmakers. Like, I heard about Ridley Scott, Quentin Tarantino, and Christopher Nolan, like, so much. How much impact did Gladiator have on your dad? I... Oof. My dad mentioned it at least once a month. Nice. As I was growing up. I don't think my dad talked about it that much, but he did like it and did watch it with me eventually. I've, uh, my father did not. Interesting. I saw that he had a Blade Runner DVD in the basement. Uh, okay. And eventually I just decided, you know what? I'm kind of interested in what that is. But otherwise don't think he cares about ridley scott interesting Mm. interesting that's well i mean i also doubt that my dad cares about ridley scott as a person i heard much more about interstellar well if we're talking about death movies interesting yeah i guess i was just thinking more like for movies that came out when i was a baby that Mm. was sort of well that would have been zoolander for both of us would have been that's that's also true for some reason gladiators just like the Ridley Scott movie that my dad looked liked that I feel like was just like that movie. Interesting. I I feel like I've heard people reference it, but it wasn't something that I knew about growing up. The lesson here is my experiences are not universal. (laughs) Okay. But I mean, clearly I'm just out there because like the two of you white men growing up in (laughs) like essentially the Midwest in the U S you know, that's universal. Uh, yeah, I mean, I do feel like yeah. having a dad who's into Blade Runner at all enough to own a copy of it is somewhat d- d- unusual. You're but right. Like, in a good I'm way. I'm pretty... Like, I feel Wait, like really? Like a, I feel like that's like a good sign, right? I, it's he one only of his... had the director's cut, and he was like, that's I've okay. heard that don't watch the theatrical cut. Yeah. But he didn't know about the final cut. Uh-huh. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Which is fun. Anyway, but sorry. The main reason I want to bring up Ridley Scott as yes. a director is because he has had a fucking insane filmography. Uh, because I hadn't, I haven't seen that many of his movies. I, I was like, okay, so everyone knows Blade Runner. Everyone mm-hmm. knows Alien. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gladiator gets brought up a lot because it's a dad movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, he also did other stuff. Uh, he really likes to make these weird historical dramas. Oh, yeah. Like, no, That's like, totally a thing that he just keeps doing. Like, he made a Christopher Columbus biopic. What? Yeah. Like, 1492, like, oh. Dreams May Come or something. But also, oh. he made, like, okay, Black Hawk Down, uh, which is a, a movie that everybody liked and then nobody talked about. And then he made Thelma and Louise. He directed Thelma and Louise. I forgot he did Legend, which I still have not seen. Uh, Which, yes, uh, just don't start on it because I will not stop talking about it for the rest of the podcast because it's one of my favorite movies. I know we've brought it up before. I'm really trying to avoid Legend, yeah. Yeah. But, no, okay. But he also directed Hannibal, 
the critically reviled <laughs> sequel to Oscar-winning Jonathan Demme <laughs> movie Silence of the Lambs. And also Oops. Prometheus and also Alien Covenant. And, like, for someone who was... is Also, Exodus, Gods and Kings, which seems like a bad ripoff of a Ridley Scott movie that actually was directed I, by Ridley Scott. I, I, I don't I, understand. Uh, <laughs> the weird... Um, uh, among many of his movies that I still am wanting to see, uh, Kingdom of Heaven is like the weird white whale one for me in the sense that i've owned a blu-ray of the director's cut of it for years and just still haven't taken the time to watch it but i thought about it because we watched the last duel separately the other day which was his most recent movie to come out soon to be replaced uh in that name uh but i liked it and i was like oh wait he did another medieval historical drama that i haven't watched I should do that. This guy is the god of dad movies is essentially what you're yes. saying. So to some degree. Also Kingdom of Heaven, another movie that's famously destroyed in a theatrical cut, but mm-hmm. the director's cut is supposed to be like amazing. It's apparently like a nine day difference. Like oh, and then he did long. The Martian, didn't the he? The Martian. Yes. Yep. He did The Martian, yeah. which I completely Martian, forget about every time. That Robin Hood movie with the, Boy in it. Yes. Russell uh, the Russell Crowe gritty yeah. Robin Hood. Oh, like he, you can say what you want about Ridley Scott, but like after a while he does have a brand and so you can kind of tell. He do a lot of the same, but like the house of Gucci seems to be kind of an outlier perhaps. Maybe maybe. it's still sort of a historical drama, but (laughs) in its own way, in its own way, it's still, you know, that's a very broad topic. obviously. And of course, Blade Runner is a historical drama Mm -hmm. of what it was like to live in October of 2019. As I'm sure we all remember. Like, that's kind of interesting that you have a director who's really strong in both movies that you can put a based on a true story thing on the front of and also like some of the best speculative fiction movies that have ever come out also. Like, that's kind of interesting. True. Yeah. That is interesting. It, it is. Maybe it's because they're one in this thing. Aren't they? Compelling. So Compelling when idea. you get mad about the next Oscars having a, like, I don't know, random person autobiography or whatever it is, and you're like, uh, all of these boring... His-, and I'm like, well, as we learned with Ridley Scott, it's the same thing as speculative fiction. <laughs> and sometimes they're good yeah. and actually compelling, yes. and sometimes they don't exist you watch them and then the next hour after you finish watching them they just kind of melt into the miasma of history textbooks you half remember from high school (laughs) yeah like i even feel like that about the some of the good ones like Mm. i mean like the new world the terrence malick one oh and you even like that one i like that one I own it on Criterion, and it's still, like, sort of there in the back of my head, and I don't really remember Uh almost any of it. Yeah. Hmm. uh, I am really curious about the Barry Jenkins Underground Railroad uh, series that just got released on Amazon Pride. I'm sure that's got to be good. But also... I've listened to the score, but I haven't actually watched it. The score is very good. Blade Runner. Yeah, that's what we're going to talk about. <laughs> it's got a soundtrack. So, uh, I want to get... My favorite thing about this movie is is how Rutger Hauer is, like, kind of a bad guy, but also not a bad guy, and he's also hot, and he's also Jesus. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think... So, uh, fun fact, I don't like this movie. I wish I did. I'd really I like how there was just no uh, response. There's just no... Uh, on. I do think, a lot to unpack. There. Okay. That, but that comes down to my take, because this last time I had a revelation mm-hmm. that I think I would love this movie if they, they had an enemies to lovers arc between Harrison mm-hmm. Ford and Redger Howard's character, instead of trying to do that whole thing with Rachel, like on the side and Harrison Ford getting together with her. You should have gotten together with Rutger Hauer at the end. That that's my that's well. My I mean, pitch. You can make anything gay and that make it like more objectively better, right? <laughs> like that's that's a fact. Yeah. Like you can make something just like earnestly gay and that makes it better. However, 
I don't know how well that fits within the context of this movie because I think a lot of it is one you you could all already read it as a bit of that as a bit of an allegory, right? In the sense that you could say that Deckard is sort of coming to terms with the fact that he is a replicant by his uh, interaction with this shirtless replicant who's really hot and cool and like saves his life and stuff. But you could also say that he's coming to terms with the fact that he is bisexual through that experience <laughs> as well. Well, also, and that we're in a but, society where bisexual people are treated as lesser. Except that, like they're robots, but they're not. They just love lots of people. Deckard isn't a replicant, though, canonically in the sequel and in the text of the film. But the point is not that you know he's coming to terms with the fact that he is a replicant, but the fact that the difference between the two does not make the existence oh, so experienced true. by the replicants so it's valid. like he's bisexual and rucker howard's gay and it's like it doesn't even like <laughs> like we're all just people we're all the same man. and it's so cool to be whatever we are i just happen to die a lot faster than you yeah well that's true unfortunately <laughs> wait is that part not literal eggs. oh man i think you could also say that then that's like like a, a very like dark way of reading um like the 80s aids epidemic which is really rough actually oh man but that was late yeah. 80s, wasn't it? i was it? gonna say this that, may not have been around in that particular time whether but... or not meanings were intended does not mean that they don't exist true because that is actually kind of interesting especially since uh this film kind of has a legacy of being more like people say some movies are ahead of their time uh and usually that's bullshit because mm -hmm. the movie could only have been made at the time where it was made but it is true that some movies tap into things that will not matter for a while and the blade runner kind of invents the cyberpunk aesthetic long before it actually becomes a thing I think that's kind of true, yeah. At least as a visual language, yeah. Like I, I like it's sort of existed, but not quite. Yeah. This is like, but this is fully it. I was gonna try and figure out when Neur Neuromancer came out. Neuromancer came out two years after this. After I already okay. did the research. Like it, God. Philip yep, K. Dick, uh, the Philip K. Dick story to Android Dream of Electric Sheep oh, that this is based yes. off of, came before, about that and a bunch of Philip K. Dick stuff is very much in the aesthetic realm of what we would consider cyberpunk another one of his short stories uh, johnny mnemonic was made into one of like the second of only like two major cyberpunk themed releases in america before the 21st century i want to watch it it's very bad it's got keanu though it's almost unwatchable i'm I... gonna watch it anyway okay <laughs> Thank you it's for just your like those bits of uh, 2046, but just as a movie. I don't remember which one that was. You mean 2047? Blade mm. Runner 2047? No, no, that's 2049. This, this I'm talking about 2046, yeah. 2046, the Wong Kar Wai oh. movie. Oh, I just assumed it was one of like so the many. shorts that preluded 2049. Oh, I think so there probably is one called 2046, actually, but... No, I'm talking about the Wong Kar Wai movie, which yeah. has like awesome cyberpunk little like, sci-fi like, bits. I was just <sighs> exposed to that too yesterday after being reminded so about Tony yeah. Long. Well, and here's mm -hmm. the thing that I find a bit interesting because Blade Runner definitely invents and inspires a lot of the cyberpunk aesthetic. I'd say the majority of the cyberpunk movement actually took place in Japan cinema mm. and much more mm. leaned into the punk end rather than the cyber end but it drew upon a bunch of uh this imagery and put it into a new context which is more about the oppressed individual going against mega corporations mm -hmm. like the corporation as sort of the king of the society and the oppressed individual uh, trying to survive con and conquer the system and ultimately failing because it is uh, kind of hopeless, which is 
I'd say the defining characteristic of most cyberpunk media as like a storytelling mm-hmm. device. Uh, and this is really more in like narrative structure, a noir film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but okay. The one thing I find interesting about the fact that this inspired so much Japanese cyberpunk is that this, this movie, as I read a lot of articles pointing out and I do really agree with is very um, Americans being afraid of invasion by Eastern countries. It's entirely as well, like just rife with Orientalism. Yeah. And that's like Mm -hmm. one of my, my biggest complaints about it for sure. Like it, it does sort of just amalgamate all Southeast Asian cultures into one and then project that. I'm like, this is what happens when um, Los Angeles is going to be conquered. Yeah. Like it's very much like what Firefly did as well, Hmm. where like they Uh randomly have to like a lot of Mandarin and Firefly. And it's not like for any kind of reason other than like China conquered everything. And just, I don't know. It's just upsetting and weird. And I remember that because, um, because my uh my family growing up was like very much like bought into a lot of that garbage mm. and so i remember that they would read into things like that in in media but like like in support of it um which is really shitty um but yeah so i think that's i don't know that's why it like is as maybe as upsetting as it is to me. Um, I, I, I would just, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to cut you off or, or talk over you or anything, but I, yeah. I feel like that is first sure worth noting that. Yeah. Both the Orientalism and then as well as we can get into the fact that it has some like pretty problematic and misogynistic layers going on to it as well. There's just, it, there's a lot about this movie that's like, eh, like yeah. you just kind of grit your teeth at, um, and somehow despite that, um, despite a lot of the really rough bits of it, um, there's also a lot of it that keeps it consistently at like up there for me. And I, I don't know, like, I don't know how it does that. Like, mm-hmm. usually when things are very problematic and upsetting, I just don't like it at all. Like, it just entirely ruins it for me. Well, and it but depends. maybe it's maybe it's the effect of twenty forty nine that undoes a lot of that. I I think I they know. deliberately tried to move away from a lot of the overtness of it in twenty forty nine because in Blade Runner. The big thing is that the elements of like culture, like essentially it's saying this is a dystopia and the key for this that you're like, okay, this is how you know that it's bad. It's because it looks like Tokyo, but like kind of gray and gloomy. And that like sense of foreignness to Western eyes is used as just synecdoche for like that that bad and strangeness that that's meant to make us like uncomfortable and a bit distant from this like very beautifully realized world, but this sort of strange uh, seeming world where like, as I was watching it, it struck me as a sort of weird uh, oppression fantasy where uh, like white people are like, but what if we were the minority? sort of thing and like oh no what if white people were oppressed like we oppress other people wouldn't that be terrible yeah that that would be terrible maybe we should not do that to the other people uh yeah that's a good point (laughs) i side note um one of my friends uh solely refers to white people as the global minority which i think is nice uh, <laughs> um, but I don't know uh, why has that become such a part of the aesthetic because 
it's like it's read in two different ways, right? Like on one hand, it's criticized for you know being this weird fear mongering racist bullshit, and on the other hand, other people fall in love with this movie because they love um like if it's taking Tokyo as inspiration, they love they just love how Tokyo looks or yeah, it's cool they actually it... like you know. Asian culture or aspects or Asian blended into science fiction. And so it's like kind of become a part of cyberpunk in a maybe less sketchy way. Arguably. I mean, it still has a lot of that there. I think the Mm -hmm. biggest thing that you can do, because I think cyberpunk as a genre exists most in the most plethorable, plethorable form in games. Like, Way more games have cyberpunk aesthetics than movies or books. Uh, there might be an equal amount of manga that kind of has that sort of uh, aesthetic, but mm, kind of or like games based on like role playing games. Mm-hmm. TT. I've seen a lot of it, like animation and anime with yeah. cyberpunk aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's. Uh, I mean. That's the thing that I find really interesting because it became the, this Americanized take on like Japanese and like East Asian, Southeast Asian culture became a form that has been like kind of re-imported and changed by the cultures it was like cribbed from in the first place and become even more popular over there. Like, it it's just it's kind of weird and i i per, i really love japanese cyberpunk films and media because it it's so weird and it a, a lot of it is so well, and i say weird not as like like off-putting but as wildly imaginative and it is so low budget like there isn't the anime and the anime works of cyberpunk tend to be pretty high budget because it costs so much to animate things. But live li- live action films like uh, Gikiro Ishii's or Shinya Sukumoto's films, uh, they're like really cheaply made things that just are so creative and are just great pieces of media. Uh, <laughs> that that are things. You are the expert on those, and I trust you. I I don't know I I. <laughs> I like it. Uh, I, I've, I've tried to get Broccoli to watch I, uh, things before, yeah. and I've been met with some <laughs> resistance. Will. I'd like to I check it out. I keep telling you I will. You've never put one on. so <laughs> That's because the only way I'll I can you. get you to watch movies is by forcibly putting it on in front of you <laughs> and not ask, having you ask me to turn it off. Uh, yes. I've been um, only more exposed on that sort of side of things to the anime side, because... There's them classic anime films like Ghost in the Shell and mm. Akira that mm-hmm. all fall under the umbrella of cyberpunk, and they're pretty all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't. Not to mention saw, the um, the Blade Runner short film that is anime. And yes, it's so beautiful. That is true. Who it's did that? Good. I can't remember who directed uh, that one. An important person whose name I always forget. A very important one. Because it's the Cowboy Bebop guy, right? Was it the Cowboy Bebop guy? I think guy? so. Oh, Hopefully I'm dang. Not wrong. That's chill. Uh, that makes sense. But yeah. There's anyway. also an upcoming Blade Runner animated series that kind of looks like shit. But it's yeah. fine. Oh, it's it's always kind of like mixed. A, just, you know, weird 3D. Yeah, I don't like it. It's fine. But like, as far as cyberpunk films go that are American made, you mm-hmm. have Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049, uh, Johnny Mnemonic, The Matrix trilogy and uh like what else i had not considered the matrix as cyberpunk that's interesting it is i i'd say it's very yeah. cyberpunk it works i think it's some of those elements but isn't right i feel like there would technically be a different designation for that well but maybe not it's all sort of up to individual interpretation mm-hmm. And kind of how you read it. Oh, and then you have the uh, the American remake of the 
classic Japanese animated film Ghost in the Shell, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is filtered through so many layers of like reappropriating imagery uh, that it is surprising how boring it is. Like that, that movie's most notable quality is that it is boring as sin. Oh God! Mm. And that they cast Scarlett Johansson. Oh yeah, which, <laughs> which completely overshadows anything that happens in the movie. <laughs> the classic controversy. Yeah. Um. Yes. Anyway, I I know we're we're not. Um. I should just say this: like we're not clearly. Um. The most qualified people to talk about this. Like it's not something that I'm incredibly well researched on and it's also not like um our like lived experience mm-hmm. um but it it is worth noting that there's a decent amount that is kind of problematic with this uh, movie and the way that it represents asian cultures mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know is there mm-hmm. anything else we want to say about that and yeah. or do we want to move on i mean the the thing that's kind of noticeable is it falls into the same trap that Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs does where Mm. uh, it has characters speaking I think in Japanese uh, unsubtitled that uh, is at first like an interesting aesthetic choice but what it actually meant like practically does is it distances the audience from people and stops them being able to relate to people as human because they cannot understand them and cannot form connections with those people. So Yeah, then all of a sudden you get this problem of like the people who speak English and the dogs are the people that you're relating to and the dogs yes. are speaking English because they're translated into English. But And then it's like does this weird othering situation while being set in Japan. And Blade yeah. Runner does this and I think this is like the summation of how it is like some a bunch of people might just watch it being unaware of the fact that it is kind of uh problematic because mm-hmm. y- you just watch the movie and you're having fun with the movie but when you look at it you're framing everything p- from the perspective of Harrison's Ford character and you only understand and can relate to the white english speaking characters in the movie where all we're seeing it from that perspective mm-hmm. and therefore like the facade of like neo tokyo plastered all over la is seen as an invasion of some other foreign entity yeah. into the space um, and even people who are like say like a appreciating a cultural aesthetic or something like mm-hmm. that of of the bits that they recognize maybe from Japanese culture, it's sort of exoticized in this sort of weird way of like, ah, oh, no, look it. It's sort of like, you know, you could, in in your limited perspective, and I'm, yeah, I don't know, just like, oh, wow, that's so cool. This movie isn't racist, see, or I'm not racist, see, because I like Blade Runner. I like specific exotic aesthetics as I see them, as opposed to actually seeing and valuing the culture as it really stands and actually seeing and valuing the people as people. It's just yeah. seen as like set design that is like interesting. And that's maybe the biggest problem that I see here. But Yeah. It's 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 a it's a thing. Okay, what else do we want to talk about? We can um, talk about the different versions of the movie. That would be go into it. A good, a good go off the starting. So I am not an expert on this. Uh, I, I just know that the original version in the way so I'm probably not going to tell this very well because I actually don't know that much about it. But I just am sort of aware. Didn't you watch it? Yeah, so I did. Well, I did it. watch it, but I just don't know that I know all of the like. Well, just tell us about it. Around it, yeah. So when this movie first came out in the theater, it had a really awkward voiceover track. And they just were like, people are too stupid for this movie. Harrison Ford, say dumb things into this microphone. And he did. And it's really weird. And I watched the version that had the narration in it for the first time for this watch because I 
felt like, as I put it in my letterbox review, I pranked myself. (laughs) (laughs) And it's weird. It's like the movie is better without it. Like it is very much accepted that the later versions, the re-edits have just, they continuously got better over time, ending with the final cut that is, I think, appreciated as the best one uh, and has no narration. But watching the one with the narration, I remember thinking there's not as much of this as I thought there was going to be. But, and actually a lot of it is very inoffensive and in another context probably wouldn't be terrible, but it's just so awkwardly integrated. And maybe I'm biased because I've obviously been watching the version that doesn't have it, but it really does just feel out of place and like it just kind of ruins the pacing. Mm. Because it's always in those moments of transition where you're just kind of, you get a down moment where just you're kind of, maybe he's like in the flying car, like going somewhere. And they're like, we can't just have you sitting here watching him go through this really visually interesting place with this nice music. He's got to say something stupid about how <laughs> he's sad all the time. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's just That's very inane more than anything. And it's it's just very strange. But, One of my favorite uh, things about this movie, especially that like Denis Villeneuve nails so perfectly um in twenty forty nine is how much space and silence there is. Mm-hmm. Like like the set design Everything in this movie, all the miniatures, everything that they did is so unbelievably gorgeous and incredible and awesome and the score is also incredible in being able to get those atmospheric moments and those moments of transition, mm-hmm. not only to appreciate that, but also I feel like the way that I view it is is taking it in like, I wouldn't say like subconsciously, but it's not like my first thought. Like I'm enjoying how interesting visually it is. And it's like this like landscape in my head or whatever, but I'm also using that like space to like kind of reflect on what the movie is trying to say some symbolically or mm-hmm. what the characters are going through. And I feel like those spaces are really useful for all that bit. So to cloud up all of the cool layered things that are happening with those moments of silence yeah. <laughs> with narration is about the worst thing I feel yeah. like you could do to this. And movie. it really just adds nothing to the story. Like he really does not say anything interesting. It's either exposition about the world which again you can largely pick up through context, which we enjoy doing in the other versions. But or it's just like again, like it's just nothing talk. And it's just there to fill space. I think that also represents like a larger trend that we might be seeing a bit more going forward because uh previously in the list we'd seen a lot of art films and a lot of films made under a different sort of studio system. And then coming after the new Hollywood movement, we have a we have a new studio system with a new mentality and we just finished covering two star Wars movies, which are very highly structured Hollywood, what I call like Hollywood movies, but like blockbusters that are meant to be fast paced, easily digestible and easily marketable, like movies that you can like just sell, sell, sell. And the philosophy of a slow contemplative movie where you just take in the environment and you uh, just absorb the world isn't able to be sold like that. And it feels like Blade Runner is a movie that they let Ridley Scott make and then they tried to remake it after the fact, after seeing it, into something that was more widely marketable and more sellable. Mm -hmm. And of course they failed because this movie bombed. (laughs) Right. Like Uh, it really didn't do well. Yeah. I don't think it actually started like getting any kind of positive reception until after the director's cut came out. I Mm -hmm. I could be wrong. So it started getting positive reception when a work cut was was late about the work print, the work print, which the only thing was it didn't have the narration and it had the original ending, which uh, is the the ending that is in the film without the like appendix of right. uh, the happy the door ending. And that's it. Yeah. And that played at like some underground theaters. And then 
it started getting some really positive buzz and the studio thought that they could sell it at this point at to like because it had enough buzz they're like we could just release a new version of this so they released the director's cut fun fact they did not contact ridley scott about the director's cut at all (laughs) he had no involvement in the director's cut the final Uh, cut is ridley scott's director's cut yes wow that's so great i forgot uh yeah and i feel like that all is sort of making me also think that like as much of a foothold as this does have in general uh film appreciation like blade runner is still a pretty niche thing i feel like like i think right cinephiles it is like one of the great movies and it's it's also a cult movie Mm -hmm. so it's a cult cinephile movie like uh we're gonna cover next week with the thing Mm -hmm. it's a movie that got negative reception both from both critics and audiences upon release and then had further appraisal but this movie i think is interesting because it's i think it starts and i may be wrong but like i think this is where the american popular like the popular audience Mm. being obsessed with the voice of the director with an American film hmm. starts because of the director's cuts. Because this movie was bad, yeah. then they got two director's cuts and it became a good movie, right. quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And this kind of starts off where we are now, where you talk to people and they have, like, they don't just go out and watch movies, they, like, have. they're fans of directors like my sibling who is not into movies and only watches queer rom-coms uh on streaming services uh will go see whatever new taika watiti movie is out Mm. and i'm not Mm -hmm. sure how much the popular audience got invested in individual directors and until that point Mm. and like how many people were that sort of like casual cinephile yeah. I think that's probably true. Like there are very few examples that I could think of of I mean I I I might say that people still probably cared about like Scorsese at this point already or Spielberg perhaps. Yeah. Uh it definitely comes along with a new Hollywood. And George Lucas. I would say George Lucas might have been a big easy selling point starting with star wars because you could slap george lucas's name on something like indiana jones or whatever and it it gets more Mm. buzz for it and i'm trying to think going before this time which would have been a uh cultural texture that i would be even more not in touch with because it's older but like where people like oh hey there's a new uh that charlie chaplin guy's got a new thing out let's go see it yeah I, but I think a lot of Just people like wouldn't have guy. been super aware that Charlie Chaplin was directing his own films. I think a lot of people would have just been going to see it because he's the star. Ah, uh, yes, true. Yeah. Mayhaps. That is an awkward um, example. Yeah, I don't know. That is interesting. I could see it kind of being part of this, like, new Hollywood thing that directors are better known for directing, I guess. Yeah. Because it probably has to do with that element along with the whole cultural miasma of like mm-hmm. Francis Ford Coppola, Steven Spielberg, George Lucas just blowing up and becoming these dad director names. Dad director names. <laughs> maybe that is maybe that is what we call them now, like the the, the directors your dad knows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Basically, that's it starts now. <laughs> We have. That's how I explain like new Hollywood to people. You know, your dad directs. <laughs> the directors your dad knows, except and then also Alfred Hitchcock. People for oh. some reason they know him too. True. Yeah, it's weird that he is like the big voice from like American film um, mm-hmm. pre New Hollywood that just yeah still gets so much love. Um, I mean, I don't care about him talked about that much now but when i was in like middle school he was like one of the directors like that epic rap battles of history between directors that i yeah that was a thing. i was a kid yeah they had an epic rap battle and they had like four directors and they had uh, alfred hitchcock steven spielberg 
Quentin Tarantino and Michael Bay. Michael Bay came out as like this joke uh-huh. thing at the end where he's just like, I just make a lot of money, screw you. Uh, and so it it's it that's when I was getting into movies, that's what movie culture was with the internet. Mm-hmm. And like movie culture among movie lovers has changed so much over time. Like in the eighties it was VHS collectors and like film critics and stuff like that. And then like now it's people on letterbox to have way too many criterion DVDs <laughs> mm-hmm. who like, you know, stood in line to get citizen Kane on 4k DVD. Oops. People whose definition of uh, quote unquote film is saying that something is a 24 esque. Yeah. <laughs> I think that trend's dying. I, I do. Yeah, I think so a little bit. It's just become a little bit too cringy, I think, that people are they trying had, to not say that anymore. They had their hits that broke in like middle, late tens, and now we've kind of moved on, and they're just like, yep, they're still coming out with movies. But I saw really... something like recently, I can't remember, that was saying that something about how... I can't. It was talking about some new Marvel movie. I think mm-hmm. it might have been Shang Chi. It might have been something else that was mm-hmm. like, oh man, the way that like this is like not even just like a Marvel movie. The way that this is like like a like you would think it was an A twenty four movie. Causes so much pain. Mm. Anyway, it's fine. Uh, I can move on. It's okay. We can. Let's just let's. I- I did this is a good movie. I like it. I've liked it a long time, but there are bits of it that make me upset. I don't like the bit where he's like very ag- aggressive with mm. Rachel and mm-hmm. kind of sexual assault. Yeah, that's really, a really weird scene, and I don't like it. It hasn't aged well. I've heard people read it in both lights because I've I've read essays of people talking about it as if it's buying into the dehumanization of replicants and people in general Mm -hmm. in this dystopian society. And I've also heard the other side that's like, you're really just trying to create an excuse for this movie, aren't you? Yeah. And so, (laughs) so I usually just come out on the end of like, you know what? Um, it makes me uncomfortable every time I watch it. I don't like it. I cannot reconcile that in my head. It, Whatever the intent was, I doubt it was um, actually really as well thought out yeah, as as it, all that. It's just and it's, I don't like it. There's just no redeeming quality. Like it just it feels no. like you could take it out and nothing would be worse. Like it would be better. Tbh. Like yeah. I don't yeah. get it. I don't think it adds anything. I don't like it. And if Whereas, the idea like, is that, like, ah, uh, in in noir, your heroes also not very heroic. I it's guess. like, okay, well, you don't have to do that. Yeah, but like, <laughs> then I'm like, there are, I don't know. Whereas the depiction of sexuality in Blade Runner twenty forty nine actually kind of interesting and. Actually something kind something. of cool yeah yeah which is and also not rapey <laughs> yay exactly yeah i just yeah i i think that's i think the way that 2049 does it is actually intentional i mean whoop de doo who would have thought that Denis yeah. would be thinking about things and saying something interesting yeah. or you know at, at the very least more so than i director in the 80s mm. thinking about women yes. at all really the point here is that the the big takeaway is we all prefer blade runner 2049 go watch mm. that if you haven't i think 2049 is a much more like polished and in, in many ways defensible movie however i prefer oh shoot the, i prefer the aesthetic i made too much of and a generalization perhaps the of this one two of us I have don't confessed think that's to good. thinking 2049 i wouldn't say that it's as good but i would say that the aesthetic of this one is so much better for me yes like that, the set design yeah. of deckard's apartment 
-hmm. is for me i think that is like peak visual yes i when when i talk to people about, about what kinds of aesthetics i like or what i think is attractive in a movie i usually kind of go decker's apartment mm -hmm. i get it i do i i really like this movie in the visual department through most of it uh but i i don't like this movie that much well, I don't love this movie. I I like this movie. I don't love this movie, not because of all of the things that we've mentioned up until this point, but it's because for some reason at the point when we start following the replicant storyline, I lose all investment in the movie. All three times I've watched it, at that exact moment, I have lost engagement in the movie and I've not been able to pick it back up through the rest of the thing, which mm. just, it, it makes me sad because I do think the movie is pretty. It's like really well visually executed and a lot of those miniatures and the light work and everything is great. But like Blade Runner 2049, I am engaged. It is pretty. I still get to look at hot dudes in cool coats. Overall, better win. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know? I see that point. Yeah. Yeah, I think I... I think the way that this movie's plot is paced works perfectly for me, but it's because the noir format works absolutely perfect mm. for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think 2049 is really less of a noir, if we're being honest. So it just doesn't do the same thing. Yeah, I'd actually say, so 2049 is more of a traditional cyberpunk story in narrative. And mm -hmm. the original Blade Runner is a noir form in narrative, which I... I also, uh, I think, is probably correct your estimation as to why you dig this movie and I don't because mm. I think the only noir that I really love is Casablanca. Like, every other noir I've tried to watch, I like but don't love. I've tried Which to watch... Which I the feel like is the least, like, noir <laughs> plot noir film. Like, for mm. me, it's it's like... I mean, I think Stray Dog is, like so underrated as a as a noir film but um mm. i yeah i do need to get to more kurosawa i i will take that back the other noir film that i do like is samuel fuller's um pick up on south street one that i still need to see which uh but yeah no i feel like the way that those narratives are structured and the way that they flow oh another the third man incredible yeah. which i also Marvelous. couldn't get on board with despite uh, Orson Master. Welles being all Orson Wellesian. Hot daddy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that that format just works so well for me mm -hmm. that the combination of that and Harrison Ford and Rutger Hauer being incredibly hot and that scene with him punching through the wall and grabbing <laughs> Harrison Ford's hand and breaking his fingers and then giving him back the gun and the weird religious elements and mm. just the way that so much of it works from a thematic standpoint as well and just everything about this movie in those well not everything about this movie but those <laughs> parts about that movie just make it work for me so incredibly well and i totally get why it wouldn't work as well for other people but for me i there aren't a lot of movies that every time i watch them i get sucked in and feel like i'm watching them for the first time again and have new ideas that I take from it every time. But I feel like that with this movie. Which is why I put it on the list. And we had yeah. three Harrison Ford movies in a row. <laughs> and we almost had four. Oh. But I I chose a different Spielberg movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, wait. Are we doing Jaws next week? Or is it... We're not doing Jaws. I don't believe we're doing oh. Jaws at all. Oh, what did, what? we're doing Jurassic Park. Oh, we're doing Jurassic Park. That's right. Jaws was on oh. the list uh, 47 revisions ago before we started the podcast. I was going to do Jaws, and then I was going to do Indiana Jones, Jones, and then I... Okay, so... Okay, coming up, we have The Thing, then Jurassic yes. Park. Yes. Yes. And then what? The after thing? The thing? Oh do we have Jurassic Park after The Thing? Or No, Jurassic Park is a 90s film. Oh, is it? Okay, I, yeah. I, my timeline's all messed up. Uh, whatever. Okay. It doesn't matter. Uh, I think, are we all out of thought juice? Uh, we've been talking for a while. Um, I, I think I'm out of thought juice. I don't really know what else to say other than, like, thanks for listening. And I would say that you could come, like, 
follow us on all the things, especially via our website, but I don't think our website is live anymore. I think I actually did not renew the website, so it might be down. I didn't know yeah. if it was worth it. But I did I post on social media. Done. I posted on Instagram a little bit lately, though. Ooh. I made some stories that I was like At alluding. Movie Overload um, pod? I think it's a Movie Overload pod. Nice. Or is it underscore? Is there an underscore um, somewhere? That's a good question. I'm going to look right now. It is Movie Overload pod. That is the, oh, cool. That is the Instagram. At Movie Overload pod. That's it. Go find us. Give us a like might or post sometimes. Something. Just find the send podcast. us a direct message where you tell us to go die. Yes, you can also email us at the movieoverloadpod at gmail com. I think something like that. <laughs> and then so. I don't know. Uh, send us some hate mail. Is that a thing that we do? Yes, send us some hate mail, and we will read it out live on the podcast. Yes, uh, no matter how. True embarrassing yeah. and rude it is yeah uh, you, you can do anything uh even if it's just you telling hunter like how dare you <laughs> you forgot to like put the macaroni back in the fridge and now it's all spoiled You're right. that is acceptable I macaroni. <laughs> Some macaroni cool i would like to make my only wait no i'll actually make that an after the podcast stinger. okay <laughs> um yeah, no, I, I think I'm good. I'm trying to okay, think if there's cool. anything else, but this movie's pretty All good. Right. Uh, I like it. All right. It's very pretty. Yep. I think it's a really cool thing. It's nice to have, I think, maybe the only example we have of a neo-noir film on this list that comes back to the, the noir trend that we showed earlier and does something very different with it. Um, Wait, hang on. Why didn't why didn't you why didn't you choose my favorite neo noir film uh, Chinatown? <laughs> sure, hmm. Surely there wasn't a particular reason that you did not choose uh, that film. Uh, uh, there's a few yeah. things. Um, <laughs> you also didn't have of any of De Palma's oh. movies. Is uh, yeah, fuck Roman Polanski. Oh, fuck oh yeah. Allen. I'm just kidding. I knew that. Um, and... that's I. Th- I don't remember if we have other things that we usually say. Orson Welles is our pod daddy. Uh, um, Hunt, and, uh, we're, we pad for time as Hunter finds the quote. I have the quote in my brain. Okay. Say at the end of this particular episode of the Movie Overload podcast. I'm trying to psych myself up to do it correctly, but that's going to make it worse. <laughs> Sushi. That's what my ex-wife called me cold fish what and goodbye everybody goodbye. <laughs> that's goodbye. in the movie the implication that he has an ex-wife that, that is <laughs> i love it that's that's a lot <laughs> that's so bad thank <laughs> you all for listening uh it is in the movie please uh, yeah. please just like look up a compilation or something that has to exist of the of the things he says okay. in the, the theatrical cut. it's great bye. okay thanks bye Woo-hoo. My Bye. my post podcast yeah, suggestion for the the real fans is that this just of course reminded me that there is that video game. Uh, if you like cyberpunk and you like Wrecker Hauer, there's a sort of horror-y, pretty okay video game called Observer that oh. stars Rutger Hauer as the player character, um, and it's very cyberpunky. And I thought it was I thought it was all right. Interesting. Observer, it's good. That's chill. They just kind of recently came out with like a re-upped sort of better version of it. And anyway. if you'd like to watch some good old-fashioned uh, cyberpunk media from Japan, uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man. Yeah. Please watch it. I need everyone on Earth to watch that movie. I'm going to uh, do it one day. I'm going to do it. Uh, yeah, I, I have a Blu-ray Someday I'm going to sit you all down in the room and you're all going to look at me afterwards just like Avon did right after watching Evil Dead 2 and be like, you watch this for fun? <laughs> uh, so you guys watched Evil Dead 2 the other day. Yep, that was my birthday present. Nice.